0: Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to have you with us at church this morning. My name is Steve Frederick. I'm the senior minister here. And um, I'll be working through that passage that we just read out for us together with you this morning. Uh, it would be really helpful for both of us, for me and for you, if you have that passage open. i uh, just in case you can put the chat quickly there. It's page 1154. Uh, my apologies that on the service sheets Stepping through uh, that chapter 13 particularly with a quick look at the end of chapter 12 that we've begun looking at together last week. Well, some time ago now I recall hearing about a friend's daughter. I can't remember how I heard that, it. it might have been on a Facebook post, perhaps at the start of the year the kids are going back to school. And it was a post or a Moment of heading off to school. they gifted to her a, a swanky pencil case as a little treat to make it a special thing to start back at school. they equipped her with all the most premium stationery that you could imagine a uh, kindergartner taking to school, uh, as well as an immaculate new school uniform. And this little girl was flushed with pride over her exalted status as a big schoolgirl now for this first day of school. And she returned home as well, so I answered Although a lot of the expectations seemingly hadn't been realized from that first day at school. That's a big girl. Until her parents asked what she was most looking forward to learning at school. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> is Said earlier in the letter, typically he lowers and humbles his own status as an apostle to that of a servant or a slave. So it seems unlikely that this number here is, is kind of making a point of order and really importance or honor or status. Paul is here more likely, I think, how he, as an apostle, first brought the Christian faith to Christ and laid the foundations of. And then subsequently how prophets and then teachers, such as Apollos, something would be built upon that foundation that we laid in the strengthening and building of the church. See, apostles were those who were the first to witness the resurrected Lord Jesus. And they were the ones to first pass on Jesus' authority of teaching in establishing those first early churches. Prophets were those who were from among God's people both the young or the old, men or women, who took the truth of faith that they had been taught and practically applied them to the specific circumstances and situations in which each local gathering of Christian found established. A prophecy is something akin to the exhortations and the encouragements that we often have at the end of our century. especially as the generation of the apostles who had witnessed Jesus
1: as their generation
0: grew to a close, as those apostles died and were martyred for their faith. all then instructed, thirdly, that teachers should be appointed in every local church. Those who will be responsible for guarding and passing on the apostles teaching to future generations Is a reflection on the online way in which God used mediums humans like us to progressively build the strength. Even so, Paul does exhort the Corinthians, does he? you he does exhort the men to desire
1: the greater
0: gifts. What's that all about? It's hard not to hear in that phrase some comparative evaluation. More to be valued than others. Have uh, a look at verse 31 again. I'll read it out. Paul writes, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Uh, no sooner has Paul dangled before the Corinthians the promise of revealing what are these greater spiritual gifts, than he provocatively patted them jerks a topic straight out of their reach and by moving into the well, next topic, not even the slightest comment. Kind of like someone using a ball of wool to perhaps toy with a cat, you know, holding it there for the cat to reach out crowd, and grab. just as they think they're to get their claws into it, jerking it out of their reach. That's kind of The tongues of men or of angels, but do not have God. I am only going to sound like God. Not have love, I gain nothing. Imagine if you will, someone who possesses the greatest spiritual gift that you could imagine having, the greatest spiritual talent or capacity that you could imagine. Someone who possesses not simply the spiritual capacity to speak in unknown human languages, but even the very languages of angels themselves. Someone who possesses simply words of prophecy and insight, but also the capacity to fathom even every history holding together the fabric of their universe. Somebody Something possesses not simply faith guided by faith, but faith that can move mountains. Someone who displays not simply generosity Someone, far from such gifts, making them spiritually notable. Paul says that they would instead be are nothing if they did those things in the absence of love. Notice that Paul doesn't simply say that the gifts, those amazing things that someone might do, those gifts themselves are nothing about love. If love. As if love were just a little bit of an accessory. Without love, the people themselves are nothing. It's a pretty confronting thing to say. Spiritual status and standing without love, even the greatest of spiritual gifts, are just like a clean symbol. Work is in church. In verses four to seven, we don't find a rose-colored ode or pomp to the love, loveliness of love. In these next verses, we find what contains the central rebuke, the most urgent correction, and the most searching disclosure of the Corinthians' spiritual failings. How look we be in verse four? was writing these words in the context of all the things that he said about the Corinthians. Perhaps you can imagine that and what we've learned about the character of the Corinthians so far. And then to them, Paul writes, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking not easily angered; it keeps no record of points Love, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always holds, always, always perseveres. This paragraph is pretty much a reverse portrait of the Corinthian church. It's a picture of everything that the Corinthian church has proven itself. Corinthians' status and their impatient quarreling over social standing states revealed just how destitute of love they really were as a church community. Likewise, the Corinthians' proud, puffed up, boasting in their spiritual knowledge and insight unveiled debilitating deficit of love in their attitudes towards one another. The Corinthians' willingness to wrong and cheat fellow believers, through public legal battles. They're despising of the poor in how they celebrate the Lord's Supper. Their willingness to use public prayer and prophecy to glorify themselves in all dishonored others in a manner that exposed the chronic lack of love. The show the kind of love that Paul describes in these verses won't seem to be a matter of the of veneer of politeness and affirmation over our regular dealings with one another. Paul insists that genuine love never delights or rejoices in only ever in truth. And this means that on occasion, love will call us to. Indeed, love will demand that we do the hard work of discerning between the two, between that which is evil and that which is good love and the practice in a way that benefits one another can sometimes be a rather difficult and painful thing to exercise. And on this point, I'm going to invite long enough to come up and exhort us a little bit to impulse someone to love him as something more than just a superficial call to niceness in the way
1: That just people. that's what it have it's a culture Exactly. Maybe there's that approach to conflict that just takes us, that seems to take a really big step back from people. We can end up undercutting our capacity for significant meaningful connection with each other. You know, that's another one of our values as a church that we've been speaking about lately. So, what do To
0: express a deliberate, patient, and persevering approach to those that we connected to. Thanks, That was a discomfort that quite clearly the Corinthian Church also struggled with, wasn't it? you remember uh, just a few chapters ago when there was a significant member of the Corinthian Church who everyone boasted in are dishonouring God in the most important way in their own personal lives. Paul had to call them to pay attention for the sake of honouring the rest of the church body and Christ himself. So I guess part of the question is, is it worth it this? To sell who love one another in the kind of ways that God just described for us and for us there. How do we know that investing ourselves in practicing that kind of selfless, self-giving love won't ultimately fail us. Won't leave us catastrophically exposed and vulnerable. Kind of situation we're avoiding all that along. Well, have a look at our final section, uh, chapter thirteen, still, but verses eight to twelve. Verses eight. All right never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I could now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know full, even as I have fully known. The gifts that the Corinthian church had imagined might become marks of their spiritual greatness. Uh, The gifts that the Corinthians had imagined might permanently testify to their spiritual prowess and are instead, as of the to become relics of their spiritual infancy, their spiritual process, of their spiritual childhood. They are the temporary things that the Corinthians had invested so much in most about. What the Corinthians imagined might contribute most to their future glory were in fact akin to temporary spiritual training wheels, of worth only. They reach spiritual completeness. These spiritual gifts of prophecy, or speaking in tongues, or healing, or helping, or guiding, they are temporary helps during the church's period of infancy and childhood as we're growing in strength. They're not things that are to define us for eternity, and yet they would to be. Spiritual infancy and remaining with them for eternity. How will we be at our final verse? Chapter 13 and verse 13. And now these three. Is sustained by and grows out of the fertile soil of our faith and our hope in God. It is knowing that God's promises can be trusted, that we can have faith in. It, it is knowing. Is our confidence that God is worth facing our faith, that He is worth facing our hope, that He can embolden us to pour ourselves out of loving service and others? blessings, that we do not fear for, God, 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 for God. doing so. I don't want that do, us That's right. just Dearest Father, we ask that you will forgive us for those occasions in which we have so placed Mm-hmm. Our thoughts, our desires, all those things that might elevate our own status of standing amongst the church, perhaps part of those occasions in which we're ever step back from others in order to protect our status and our status. And yet, Father, we, we ask that instead the Spirit might move us to pour ourselves out in love towards one another. Even if it requires to us to humble ourselves. Or to lay aside our own preferences with Christ. For yes, like well, Father, you have promised that it is yeah. love that does will mark us in minutes. the future that you have planned you have us. <laughs> and so, Father, we that ask that. That by your Spirit, you might strengthen yeah. us to value love to greater than all those other things. Thank awesome.